Welcome back to the unveiling with your hosts, IJ, Mark, and Tim. Oops, wait a minute. No Mark tonight, IJ. It's just you and me. So while the cat's away, I think we'll play. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Tim. Yeah, we have to. (laughs) Cat is away too many times. (laughs) Right. Well, I don't know how much we're going to actually play because I think we are going to continue in the series that we've started uh, the last couple of weeks. And this will be episode number 44. It will be the third episode in the I am statements of Jesus that are found in the book of John. Tonight we're going to be focusing on John 10, 7, which says, Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. Uh, If you skip one more verse, it goes, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. Ajay, one of the things that I'm looking at as I look at this verse is Jesus taught a lot in pictures, you know, the verbal pictures where he would paint these scenes. And I think that he used these words in this parable, more or less, uh, because it was very common for the Israelites at that time. Sheep were one of the main products for food and products that they had. Sheep were raised for meat, for milk, for hide, for wool, uh, and these, you know, these were all uh, things that they could live on. So um, these were prevalent all over, all over Israel. When the shepherds when take their flocks out in the fields and graze them, uh, every night they would bring these sheep back into a sheepfold or a pen. And this pen was usually made out of, you know, rocks that had been built up in a big, you know, big circle that could hold the number of sheep they had. And he'd drive the sheep in there every night. And then there was one small opening which the sheep would come in and go out of. And, And once they were in, he would literally place himself in the threshold of that doorway, maybe even sleep there as a barrier between the sheep leaving and any predators or thieves coming in. He was their protection. In, in the cities, of course, they had larger pens where shepherds would, you know, from various areas, would put their sheep. And what's interesting about that is in the morning when the shepherds came to get their sheep and take them out into the fields, the shepherd would only have to call and his sheep out of the entire group or flock that was in there would come away and no other because the sheep heard, knew him and heard his voice and followed him. That may be something we touch on in a little bit. but So these pictures of the shepherd and how he protected his flock were very important. And this, in taken in context, was kind of a rebuke to the Pharisees and the lawmakers of the day who, who kind of put themselves up as shepherds but didn't really f- fulfill the shepherd's job. They didn't they didn't protect the sheep the you know the way a shepherd actually does and things like that. But anyway, that's kind of more of the roundabout uh, context and the imagery and why he invoked the, that which he did. So, Ajay, I'm, I feel like I'm babbling already, and um, I'm not sure which direction you're going to go next, but I'll pass it over to you, and let's see where we go. Yeah, Tim, you know, as we look at this uh, parable and also, you know, Jesus saying that, you know, he is a gate for the sheep, You know, it's kind of interesting, you know, as I I was uh, uh, reading through this, you know, there are two things here. One is a shepherd, right? And there's also a gate. And Jesus identifies himself as both the shepherd and the gate. 
and it's kind of interesting you know in your illustration you said that you know actually the shepherd himself kind of you know sleeping across the uh, across the entrance as a gate so it makes perfect sense so one thing you know we see here right out of the gate you know no <laughs> no pun intended but uh, is <laughs> that i am the gate whoever enters through me will be saved so here we see that jesus is the gate and in other places he said in john 14:6 he says i am the way the truth and the life and no man comes to the father but through me so you know throughout the ages you know what's happening is you know regardless of who it is if they try to approach god without going through the lord jesus christ right they are thieves and robbers so it's kind of interesting right you know we might think oh my god only these uh, bad people are thieves and robbers or the pharisees you know who absolutely you know hated christ they are the thieves and robbers but if you closely look at it anyone who bypasses the work of christ and the person of christ and try to approach god some other way is a thief and a robber and again i think we have been talking about law and grace you know for um, several days and this is emphasis of our ministry you know we are very uh, emphatically you know we tell that law is not the way to god but it is a grace of our lord jesus christ so you know when we go back and see right in a average church i've been listening to sermons also like in uh, you know when i went to india and you know, some of the churches that i hear on the tv it's always about you know the focus is what you have to do you have to live a holy life you have to do this you have to do that so that god can accept you so basically they are telling people to come to god through the law not through the lord jesus christ not through the finished work of our lord jesus christ so they are also thieves and robbers because they are robbing from god's people right the way of grace the real way of salvation so they are doing a lot of disservice both to unbelievers and believers by preaching the law as a way instead of jesus as a way and for the unbelievers you know they're telling you hey you know if you're drinking you're smoking you're doing this and that unless you stop that you know you cannot be saved and that's impossible right nobody without the help, help of lord jesus christ can stop all the all those sinful habits if they could they really don't need lord jesus christ and i think a good point to make about this is there's there's three kinds of messages three kind of messages being taught the one is the, the law which is kind of where you were is how you come to jesus another is what we call the mixed right. gospel of right. grace and the law and that is they may say yeah you can't do anything to save yourself jesus says you but after that you got to right. straighten up and right. fly right and do this that and the other and then there's the full gospel of grace message which says you can't do any of these things if you could jesus would be unnecessary and you could go forward but we're saying is anything other than pure gospel of grace is robbing the christian or the non-christian even of the benefits of jesus himself right right and yeah that is so true in fact you know yeah the second one you mentioned right the mixed gospel right even though somehow by god's grace you know people are saved by hearing the gospel right when they hear the gospel since they are coming from a uh, life where they did not know uh, christ right and they were kind of coming mostly from a sinful life they realize that oh my god i can't do anything right probably at the point of salvation you know they accept jesus freely as a free gift and the salvation is a free gift but as soon as they enter any church right you know 
the law is thrown at them, right? Now that you are a believer, you better do this, this, and this, right? They throw them right back under the law. So what's happening is even though you are saved and you are a child of God, you are still going back under the law, you know, and uh, basically living a life of bondage, then living the glorious liberty of uh, the children of God. Yep, yep, amen. Um, I'm not sure if I'm going to step on your toes with this next one, but you did mention that uh, it says in these verses that I am the gate. I am the only way to God. And you brought up John 14, 6, and uh, that's another verse. And I can come up with, I don't know, six, eight, ten more verses that point to Jesus being the only way to God, and which kind of infers that he's the only way to uh, salvation and eternal life and things of that nature. So, Boy, that sounds really exclusive. Uh, does it, you know, and I don't want to get into a whole thing on theology of, of this, but you know, I, I think it's worth pointing out that um, every religion, to some extent, is exclusive. It's either you believe us, or you're a heretic, or you're wrong, or whatever. But Jesus is is uh, no exception to the message, but he is an exception to he is actually the way to God himself. And uh, I mean, maybe we can talk about that in another podcast And because I don't want to get too deep on that here when we're talking about this. Yeah, yeah. we don't want to go on a uh, sidetrack, but I think just to respond to what you said, right? You know, yes, Jesus is exclusive because there's no other way, right? You know, if there's only one way to something, it is by uh, definition, it becomes also exclusive. In fact, you know, if there's any other way apart from Lord Jesus Christ going to the cross to save us, I'm sure, you know, Lord would have used it, right? You know, instead of putting his beloved son on the cross. But the thing is, there's no other way. Because there's no other way, it has become exclusive, right? There's no other way that could, uh, or there's no other name under which, you know, people can be saved. Now, it's exclusive in that you can't, like you said, there's no other way to be saved. But it is inclusive in that when Jesus died, he died knowingly, willingly, and desiring that every person have the opportunity to come to him. Now, he knew he would be rejected by some, but he still, he went to the cross for every single person, past, present, and future, to be saved. Availability of Jesus is only restricted by he being able to hear it, which is why so many people evangelize the word around the world. Yep, yep, exactly, exactly. Yeah, you know, the Bible says, you know, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So there's nobody righteous. So just as everybody sinned, right? You know, now after our Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose again, everybody has the opportunity to uh, be saved by simply believing in him. But I think, again, you know, the just as Jesus is the way, the only way of salvation is through faith. It's not by works. It's not by doing this and that. It's not Jesus plus works, or it is Jesus or works without Jesus, but it's through faith alone, right? In Christ alone and by grace alone. I think that's very important to understand. And this uh, by grace alone, in Christ, uh, through faith alone, in Christ alone is, I think we are again, you know, we say it several times that, it is not only for salvation, you know, but also for Christian life. In other words, you know, some churches call it as sanctification. Mm-hmm. You know, even for sanctification, it's through grace, right? Uh, uh, by grace, through faith in Christ. 
And I'd like to go ahead and let the people know we had a great episode about this on monergism versus synergism. Uh, go look that up, and you'll get a really you'll get a really clear picture of the the argument that we can't do it ourselves. Jesus did. Jesus and God did it all for us. And uh, yeah, I don't want to get too deep into that here, I guess. But uh, we had a great episode on that. Go look for it. Right, right. Yeah, so uh, Tim, if it's okay, I would like to kind of uh, go back to the passage. Yes. And, you know, draw some more observations from it. Uh, so I think the passage that you uh, actually read, right, you know, he is talking about, you know, in the first uh, few verses, you know, he talks about, uh, you know, there is a, anyone who does not enter the sheep and by the gate, but climbs in by some other way is a thief and the robber, right? The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. And the gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own and the sheep by own sheep by name and leads them out. And, you know, and when he brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. It's a good thing that sheep imprinted on their shepherd and followed him because Sheep are about the dumbest animal in the entire world. I'm sorry. They look nice. They're serene. It's pretty. But um, a sheep will come out of its uh, nightly pen, put its head down and start grazing and start walking and never look up again. He won't see a predator. He won't, he won't see that he's about to walk off the edge of a cliff. If the first sheep in a group of sheep does that, the other ones don't notice and keep walking and will follow him right over the edge of the precipice. So yep. that, they, that they know the voice means... They, they are interrupted long enough to look up and figure out where they're at and find their shepherd. So it's a good thing. Yep, yep, yep. So, yeah, just to move on uh, a little bit. When he brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize stranger's voice. And then Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. So because he was talking yeah, about them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he uh, kind of told the story, but they did not understand. Then he says, you know, very, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. And who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will go in and out and find pasture. And then he goes on to say, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. You know, in modern Christianity, that, that passage about the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy has been attributed mostly to the enemy. Um, yeah. But what is, if you read this and study it a little bit, it's not just the enemy. It is anyone who isn't basically teaching Jesus is there in some form or fashion to kill, steal, or destroy, to interrupt that perfect relationship and to put something in the middle of it. Exactly, Tim. In fact, I was going to make the same exact point. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, that is good. You made that. So typically people think, right, you know, the thief comes only to kill, steal, and destroy. You know, they think that it is the devil. But I think, uh, as we just said, right, you know, the preachers of the law are the preachers of the mixed gospel, right? They are also basically stealing the inheritance of the people of God, right? They are not letting uh, the people enjoy the abundant life that our Lord Jesus Christ came to give us. I think so by implication, right, we can also say that 
if the devil is a thief, you know, the devil is behind this mixed gospel, right? You know, if I may be bold enough to say that, or devil is behind the work works-based gospel, right? You have to do this, this, and this, you know. You have to earn your own righteousness in order to win God's favor. So the devil is behind it because, you know, that is not the way of salvation. No matter how hard you try, no matter how holy life you live, you will fall short because the law requires not just living perfectly one day, not just keeping one or nine of the Ten Commandments. You have to keep all ten, all days of your life, from the day you are born till the day you die. Otherwise, you'll go under the curse. Knowing very well, right, nobody can do that. They somehow still, you know, uh, hoodwink people into buying that they can somehow keep the law to win, win God's favor, but it's an impossibility, right? They're all devil's lies. In fact, the Bible says, you know, in Colossians, we have, seen, we have uh, talked about it before. You know, the Bible says, you know, the law is the weapon of the devil, right? The devil is called the accuser of the brethren. How does he accuse people? Through the law. So as long as people are preaching some form of the law or some form of mixed gospel, they are stealing from God's people. All right, now I want to add a little caveat for those who might be uh, members of the clergy or, or uh, leadership in their church or whatnot. There are a lot of people that are teaching the law, but not as you have to keep the law, but you should try to better yourself by aligning yourself with the law and understanding that doing these things are good for you and blah, blah, blah. Now they might hesitate and retreat a little bit and say, oh, no, you're, you won't get saved with it. But they're still teaching it and they're doing it with the best of intentions in most cases. And some of them, I believe, are using it to help uh, modify the behavior or control their church. Right, right. In fact, you know, I think we can uh, go uh, deeper in some other uh, episode, but, you know, as long as you are teaching people that, you know, by your behavior, right, by your improvement, by your trying hard, you can win God's favor, you're basically appealing to their flesh, right? You know, the moment you say that you have to do something, it, the flesh is invoked, right? It's not resting in the finished work of Lord Jesus Christ, but you're actually appealing to their flesh to to basically straighten up and uh, uh, and behave so that God will bless us. But the thing is, the Bible clearly says, you know, the f- mind of the flesh is enmity against God, and it neither uh, obeys the law of God, I'm paraphrasing, right? Or can it obey the law of God? So what you're basically saying is you're trying to appeal to this thing called flesh that is still in us to behave when we know full well that it cannot obey the law of God. So you're putting people in this place, right, you know, where they are on this hamster wheel, like you and Mark say, they're going, trying harder and harder and harder and just getting nowhere. And uh, that is uh, total ignorance on the part of some of the people who preach that. And devil is using that, right, to basically, uh, basically, you know, put people under bondage. Yeah, and then the hamster wheel thing is a really good illustration because no matter how hard you run, you get nowhere, number one. So what we're saying is 
you know, the mixed gospel is bad because you're bringing in a law which has no power to save us, and it, it's not a part of our salvation anyway. But the second problem with it is it causes in people, some people, pride because, oh, look, I'm keeping the law so much better than them. Yeah, but still not perfectly, and that's the only one that counts is perfectly. Um, yep. you know, and you know, each week as we come under a new teaching, you'd go, oh yeah, I have that failing in my life. I need to, I need to work on that now. Well, f- for the last couple of weeks, you've had several other teachings, which are now starting to fall by the wayside. So you can focus on the new teachings and you never caught up with those. So now you've got guilt. All these things are negative impacts on your psyche and especially your spirituality and, and all definitely with your relationship with Jesus. Just like Hebrew says, right? You know, the law in Hebrews chapter chapter 10, I think, uh, uh, verse starting at the beginning. I'm reading from chapter uh, verse 1. The law is only a shadow of good things to come, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never by the same sacrifices, repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. So here it's talking about the sacrifices offered under the law. You know, they could never, the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year could never make them perfect, right? I want to use the same analogy here, right? You know, I'm not talking about the sacrifices, but, you know, these works that they tell us to do. You know, you go to church every time, it's a message on, hey, you need to do better, right? Mm -hmm. It's like endlessly they are saying the same thing and over and over and over, right? No matter how much you try, you can never be perfect, right? Then what's the point of doing it? If God requires perfection, and no matter how much you try, you can never be perfect, then what's the point, right? So it's the same thing here. The analogy is then it goes on to say, otherwise would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshippers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But in those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. I think I'm using this as an analogy because, you know, the Old Testament blood of bulls and goats could not take away sins. But again, I think this trying harder, right? No matter how much you try harder, uh, you cannot become perfect. It's an endless cycle. No matter how good you can, you can never be perfect because we're flesh and flesh is sinful by its very nature. So your mind will think something and put you out of perfection or your eyes will see something that will take you out of perfection. There's there's just no way you can win that game. And the endless cycle of trying and feeling guilty and failing and feeling guilty is just it will eventually either burn you out, eat you up or spit you out because it's impossible. And that's where the message of grace comes in. It is rest to our souls. So again, going back to the passage, I think the verse 10 again, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. And in other versions, it says that you may have life and have it more abundantly. Yep. So again, you know, we see the key here, right? In order to have this life that is full and abundant, right? you have to go through the gate and nothing else. So unless you go through Lord Jesus Christ and the finished work on the cross, right? And only the finished work and nothing else, you cannot have this abundant life. So if you, you cannot just say, you know, Jesus plus the law, or you can say, you know, you can totally bypass Jesus. Okay, now that I am saved, okay, Jesus is on the side. 
now you know i'm going to try to obey now i'm going to use the 10 commandments to uh, win god's favor right you know that's not going to happen so i think the key to notice is in order to there's no way you can have this abundant life in our lord jesus christ unless you uh, you uh, reject every other way apart from the gate the lord jesus christ i would uh, go to church you know regularly and see people who were every week coming in all dejected depressed feeling guilty you know and down and I'd, you know what's going on well i sinned this week and again once again i got mad at some people and shot my mouth off and did this and did that they were defeated coming in and they were you know i have to beg forgiveness from god again and i wanted to shake these people and go, no, that can't be how it works. This was before I even knew the full message of grace. But I'd be like, God doesn't want us to live like this, and he doesn't turn his back on us and have, make you go through the motions. And that eventually evolved into, if if any of your teachings say you have to do X for God to do Y, you have to beg forgiveness to be forgiven, and you have to give more money to get more money. You have Whatever those are, that is not a part of our religion anymore. It's not a part of our experience and our relationship with Jesus. Exactly, Tim. You know, you actually reminded me uh, of, I think I just came up with a very simple analogy, right? I mean, no analogy is perfect, but let's say, you know, we send our kids to school, right, to college. And most of the parents, you know, they loan money because to the kids and then they say, you know, at some point, you know, when you get your job, pay me back, right? And then, you know, at some point, you know, uh, the kid say, say, dad, you know, I cannot uh, uh, pay you back, you know, I'm uh, kind of totally broke uh, and uh, sorry, you know, I can't, I, I did promise you to pay you back, but I did not. And then he has been in this mode of, you know, okay, guilt, oh, I am a failure and I could not pay back my dad, even though I wanted to and all that kind of stuff. And one fine day you say, you know, don't worry, son, you know, I, I, I paid off all your loans and don't worry about it anymore, right? Okay, it's okay. Then even after that, you know, son keeps on coming to you every day. Dad, you know, I should have paid off my loan. You know, I'll slowly, slowly try to pay it off. And then he keeps on trying to pay off the loan that is already paid off, right? You know, that's what is our church nowadays. You know, the our sins are forgiven. Jesus paid in full. And he says, you know, your sins and lawless deeds I remember no more. And even the flesh, right, the thing that we are struggling with, that feels real in our life. The Bible says, you know, the flesh was crucified. As far as God is concerned, the old man, the thing that we are struggling with is already crucified on the cross. And first of all, you know, we are doing two things in the church, right? First of all, all the sins are forgiven. And every day we go to God saying, God, I sinned, please forgive me, right? I'll try better next time. And then the Lord is saying that the flesh is already dead. As as far as I am concerned, I took the flesh to the cross and it is a dead man, right? And it's like, you know, you're bringing a corpse to the Lord every day and says, oh Lord, you know, this corpse is not behaving. Can you please forgive me, right? You know, it's if you really think through this, right, it's all illogical. And the other side of things is, right, you know, once we accept the forgiveness of sins, right, the total forgiveness of sins, and we start rejoicing in the freedom that we have, right? we will start entering into it, uh, this abundant life that Lord Jesus Christ promised. You know, I came to give you life and life more abundantly. But the entrance into this abundant life is a new covenant. And the key clause of the new covenant is 
I will remember your sins no more. That is our, in the old covenant, the target is the forgiveness of sins, right? They were doing all those sacrifices, this and that, and all that keeping the rituals is, the end goal is forgiveness of sins, which they never could get to. But in the new covenant, right, forgiveness of sins is a starting post for us. It's not the end, but it's the beginning. We start with the forgiveness of sins. We understand all our sins are forgiven, and then we start walking with God. You know, that's when we start experiencing this abundant life. You know, it's uh, that you said you said earlier that uh, the law is the uh, weapon of the enemy, and yeah. what a devastatingly good weapon it is. And the reason being is we know ourselves. We know we're not perfect. We know we can't be perfect. And so we internalize that. We may try and show the world, oh, no, no, our lives are perfect. We got a you know, uh, middle, little income family with a house, a white picket fence, 2.4 kids and a dog, and everything is great. But we know on the inside it's not. And because of that, we have guilt. We carry that guilt with us. Now, God says, I remember your sins no more, but we don't have that ability, it seems, unless we can focus on the grace of Jesus and internalize and make our own the, the words and statements of, of Jesus and God himself that say, I will remember your sins no more. Are you better than me? Maybe you shouldn't remember your sins anymore either. It's time to move forward with your life. Focus on me, not your past, not your insides. Focus on me. Exactly. Like you said, you know, unless we hear the word and we believe God's word, right? You know, we'll constantly keep falling back into this works mentality. Because, you know, the guilt is a real thing, right? You know, unless we come to uh, a place where we completely rest in the finished work, you know, we have to convince ourselves that the blood is enough, right? The blood has the power, like we talked before also, right? The only thing in entire eternity and in entire universe that has the power to erase sins is the blood of Jesus. And without that blood, there's no way, no matter how much you try, you cannot wipe out our sins. And that's why, you know, a lot of people, you know, I, I heard that, you know, most people in mental asylums are basically there because of the guilt. They did something and that guilt is eating them up and they did not know the way of forgiveness. But for us as the children of God and as the believers, you know, who have the knowledge of blood of Jesus Christ and who have the knowledge that, you know, our sins are wiped away, right? You know, as a cloud, he said, you know, I have, uh, uh, he erased, right? You know, as a cloud, you know, I erased your sins, right? You know, as a cloud just goes away, right? That's how our sins are erased. And the Bible also says, you know, I have taken your sins and cast them in the depth of the sea. And I have removed your sins as far as from east is the west, right? So far, I have removed your sins. So all these uh, uh, kind of, you know, uh, pictures, right? or to show that, you know, God has removed our sins and he will remember them no more. But the unfortunate thing is, in an average church, you know, it's always a reminder of sins. It's no different from the Old Testament. We saw, just saw in uh, Hebrews 10 that uh, those sacrifices were, you know, not only they were just covering, they could never take away the sins of the world, but they're actually a reminder, right? You know, every time you go, they are reminding you, oh, why are you here? Because of my sins. And then I have to come next year again, next year again. It's an annual reminder of sins. You know, that's what they, the churches are doing nowadays. 
Heck, they seem to be doing that with communion. Let's let us stop and reflect on our sins, before, you know, and ask forgiveness before we take the cup and the bread. And it's like, man, no, why don't we reflect on how wonderful Jesus is and how we don't have any of that anymore? It's just we've, yeah. we've turned some of these things on their head. Yeah, yeah. And it does seem like a holy thing, right? If you go and tell this to an average church goer, even people in my family, right? If I tell them, hey, you know, you don't have to do this anymore, right? You don't have to go through the cycle of guilt and trying harder and this whole sin-focused mentality, you don't have to any, have it anymore. They, they will not agree, right? They think, you know, oh my God, this guy is saying something really bad. It's uh, almost blasphemous, but they really don't think through the ramifications as uh, as uh, Marx says always. Yeah. Well, yeah, so I think, uh, Tim, uh, looks like, you know, we are almost getting close to our time, but, you know, I want to kind of, again, just touch on this passage. I think uh, in terms of Christian maturity, right, you know, we just talked about, you know, forgiveness of sins, understanding that our sins are completely forgiven is the starting post. That is where, you know, unless you settle in your heart and mind, that our uh, sins are totally forgiven and God doesn't remember our sins anymore, we really cannot grow in Christian maturity. And uh, the same John who wrote the book of John that we are reading, he also wrote, you know, first letter of John, right? So he beautifully captures this progression. This is something, you know, I've been thinking the other day. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 12, I'm writing to you, dear children, right? This is baby Christians. Because... Your sins have been forgiven on account of his name, right? He doesn't say that, you know, your sins have been forgiven because of your confession. Your sins have been forgiven because of your repentance. Your sins have been forgiven because of your restitution. No, your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. So this is a baby Christian, right? And then he goes on to say, I am writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. And then I am writing to young men because you overcome the evil one. Again, you know, how do you overcome the evil one? By overcoming the accusations of the enemy, right? By overcoming the, or by realizing that, you know, uh, the enemy is de-weaponized. He doesn't have the law as a weapon anymore because we're dead to the law. So if you, if you go through this progression, right, the starting point is, dear children, as Baby believers, right? As small little children in God, the first thing we understand is that our sins have been forgiven. And for the young man, he is saying, you know, you overcome the evil one by knowing that you are not under the accusation of the enemy and you are not under the law anymore. And the devil cannot wield his weapon of the law against us anymore. And then comes the maturity, right? I'm writing to your fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. So in other words, right, in order to know God truly, these two things have to happen. First is we need to understand that our sins are completely forgiven, past, present, and future, and God remembers our sins no more. And second is you also need to understand that, you know, we're dead to the law. Law is not the way of abundant life. And then finally, you know, we actually come to know the Father truly. And if you go down to next verse, you know, he kind of repeats the same thing. I write to your dear, dear children because you know the father. I write to your fathers because you know him from the beginning. And I write to your young men because you're strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. He's kind of repeating the same thing. 
But I thought the progression is really uh, interesting, right? You go from knowing that, you know, all your sins are forgiven, then knowing that you're not under the law anymore. And then finally, you come to know the Father as He is. And in fact, in Hebrews chapter, uh, in the New Covenant also, right? I think I'll just say this and Tim, I'm going to <laughs> stop, but I think I'll just say this. Hebrews chapter 8, where, you know, the New Covenant is mentioned the first time, right? It says, um, this is a covenant I will, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I'll make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be the covenant I'll, I made with the ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they did not remain faithful to my covenant and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is a covenant I'll establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. Look at this one. I'll put my laws in their minds and I'll write them on their hearts. I'll be their God and they'll be my people. No longer they will teach their neighbor or say to another, know the Lord, because they all will know me from the least to the greatest. You know Why? Because for I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. So unless we settle, you know, the knowing of God came after knowing that he remembers our sins no more. So we have to settle our hearts that, you know, God is not looking at our sins, right? That is behind us. And now let us, you know, with that behind us, let us now walk with our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us now walk in intimacy with God our Father. Amen. Excellent point, Sanjay. I appreciate that. And you are right, as always, looking at the clock on the wall. We're coming up pretty close to the end. I don't know if I want to turn the mic over to you again right away, but I'm going to. Do you have? Do you want to summarize in any way, <laughs> shape, or form? Well, I'm going to keep it short and let you take longer for the summarization. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> I will say, you know, you know, don't second guess the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. He came as a human. You know, he went to the cross. He bore all our sins and he rose again. So the resurrection is a proof that what Lord Jesus Christ did on the cross is enough. If God thinks what Jesus did is enough, we should also believe that what Jesus did is enough. Amen. Let us not try to add to what Lord Jesus did. Let us not try to get the forgiveness that's already ours. Let us not try to become more holy because Lord Jesus Christ already made us holy with that one offering. So all we need to do is believe and rest in the finished work of Lord Jesus Christ and looking at our Lord Jesus Christ we live this life. Excellent points. Excellent points. Uh, so yeah, I'm going to take my I'm going to take my swing at this for a second, and uh, I am going to say that the weapon of the enemy is the law. He's called the accuser of the brethren, and if and your quote job unquote is just to believe and rest in what the Lord tells you. The Bible is full of telling you things like, I, didn't, I no longer hold you accountable for your sins. I don't hold your sins against you anymore. I forget your, I choose to forget your sin. I know it no more. I've thrown it as far as east is from the west. Those, those are what you should think. Jesus says, I am the shepherd and my sheep know me and they hear my voice. Well, people ask me all the time. How do I know it's God talking to me? Well, let me give you at least one or two small clues. If the voice in your head says, "Oh, you failed at this," or "You need to do, you need to work harder at that," that sounds like accusation. It sounds like putting you down. It sounds like giving you guilt. That's not Jesus. If it starts and ends with, "I love you," 
That's Jesus. And he's not going to tell you, you know, I'll just bless you a little bit more if you go do this or go do that. He's, I love you. I gave you everything at the cross. You have all your blessings. Just keep receiving me and all of this comes with it. Yep. Amen. Amen. That's the best litmus test I have now for deciding, is that Jesus are talking or me or the enemy? And it really comes down to, he loves me. I'm not under the law. Well, actually, that looks like it's it for us tonight. We did pretty good without Mark, huh? <laughs> amen, amen. Maybe we should send him on vacation all the all the time. Amen, amen. <laughs> no. I really loved what you just said, Tim. Just keep receiving me. That's all. That's all is Christian life. Yeah, amen. Receive more and more of our Lord Jesus Christ and rest in him. All right. Well, that's going to do us for tonight. Mark, we're looking forward to you coming back no matter what I just said. (laughs) Thanks for listening, everybody. And as always, we'll talk to you again the next time.